I'm really uh, delighted to be with you all again today. Uh, this topic of rolling cover crops is, is very personal to me, uh, not only because I've done it so long, but I've invested a lot of time and effort in trying to understand it. And as I was preparing this, reflecting back over the last two decades, I was kind of re-amazing myself of my journey. And, and uh, it's kind of in the context now that, that rolling cover crops is fascinating to everyone just because it's kind of a novel concept. It has a lot of potential, but there's a lot of challenges go with it. And I think the important thing is to understand what the expectations should be. What are the realistic expectations of what rolling can do? When we use the term rolling, and I have here slash crimping, uh, I used to always just use the term rolling, and then several people, mainly from the Midwest, would say, well, we roll our soybeans, or we roll our, our fields to smooth them off. And they said, you know, you got to differentiate what you're talking about. So um, no doubt about it, crimping is a good word as well. Uh, so that's why uh, I kind of use both those words interchangeably. I typically use just the word uh, roll, which means we're rolling cover crops to uh, plant into. So um, just wanted to list out here the seven strategies that I plan to speak on over the next two, well, or in a two-part series here. And, um, and number one, this is foundational to almost every cover crop topic, but I feel it's so important it has to be the first strategy. What are you trying to accomplish? You need to identify that in order to, to be successful. There are so many nuances about this practice, and there's been enough of reporting and stories out there there is not any story that is long enough to really capture all the dynamics. And the use of rolling, just like cover crops, has been so broad-based that trying to capture it in a one story or even one webinar here is virtually impossible. So we're going to talk about how to think about uh, what we're trying to accomplish. And then which species are best to roll? and also proper cover crop seeding rates. This isn't talked about a lot, but I feel it's important to, to understand that. Uh, those are the first three that we're going to be covering today in today's webinar. The final uh, four, the timing of termination, I kind of split that up into two sub-tap topics with herbicides or without herbicides because there's a lot of uh, difference in that. Um, number five is understanding the weed control potential. I feel a lot of times people are left under the impression, I'm going to grow a nice cover crop, I'm going to roll it down, and I'll have pretty decent weed control. Well, that can occur, but it is, it is difficult. Things have to fall in place for that to happen. And then, we, as previously mentioned, depends if you're using herbicides or not the degree of importance that aspect is. Then I have the use of cover crop mixes. And uh, number seven is also another, and it's not, you don't hear much about it associated with rolling, but I feel it's important. And, and that is understanding the dynamics of soil fertility. Uh, because the different stages of growth, 
uh, the different mixes. Um, a lot of the previous strategies are kind of wrapped up into that. And then at the end, I just want to talk about having planter, planters that are capable of handling heavy cover crops. So for today, we're just going to focus on those uh, first uh, three. Um, I just wanted to show you a quick video here. I'm, I'm assuming some of you probably won't flow streamed. Uh, uh, might be a little jerky, but I, I wanted to show some of the current technology out there and the current uses for rolling and crimping cover crops. I posted this on the Facebook page, so if any of you want to go back and look at it more in real time, you can do that later if you want. Uh, this happens to be um, a farmer uh, about uh, 70 miles west of me in south central Pennsylvania. I mentioned before the, the question, number one, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, in this case, uh, his name is Ben Peckman. He is trying to dry out his soils. This is lower ground uh, for Pennsylvania. And typically on the wet side in the spring. So he's growing a nice, heavy, well, I'll just say a nice, appropriately planted uh, cover crop. Not too thick, but thick enough to do the job in order to dry out his soil. Then he plants, rolls down. He's going to use some herbicides here. And then his area typically gets dry over the summer. So we're going to be using that mulch hopefully, according to the law of averages, and this does work out pretty much in this area, dry out the soil and use the mulch to keep the soil moisture in the profile. So on average, this, this works uh, very well. I totally understand there's some listening that have much drier conditions and they wouldn't want to maybe go this route. There's other times to roll. Um, so I'm just saying there's a lot of different reasons, but these are some of the things here that Ben Peckman is trying to do um, to do this. So um, just I want to give you a little history here of my story or my journey, if you will. And it goes way back to 1994. And in preparing for this uh, topic, I came across some interesting pictures that I remembered, and actually this is the first picture I remember of seeing of a cover crop roller. And um, I'm pretty sure this is in Brazil, this picture here, but the name Frankie Dijkstra is a well-known farmer from Brazil who has come to the U.S. several times. I've met him a couple times, and considered one of the leaders in the no-till movement and adoption and use of cover crop rollers. And this is what I saw. I saw this, I heard him speak about it at the National No-Till Conference, and I'm thinking, I gotta do this. So um, this is what kind of uh, stimulated my journey. I was going to simply, I, I had barrels lined up in my shop, I was trying to uh, make axles going through them and trying to figure out how to fill them up and weld angle irons and just trying to do different things. But then one day in a successful farming magazine, I saw 
a product that was featured that was called a rolling stalk chopper. And uh, here's, a, here's a picture of it. Some of you may be familiar with it. The company was uh, Buffalo. They had made some high residue and ridge till type planters and cultivators. And they um, had this stalk chopper. I guess the best way I can describe it now, it was kind of a precursor to what we now call vertical tillage in a way, like a light vertical tillage. This was designed to go over corn stalks in the spring when they're starting to get a little brittle and to chop them up and fluff up the soil to dry out the soil. Nothing at all to do with cover crops. And the rollers that you see there were mounted directly onto the frame. There was no suspension or flexibility. When I saw this, I thought, you know, I believe I can make a roller out of that. So they had never sent one east of the Mississippi, and we had a, a dealer not too far from me that was willing to work with it. They sent it out to me under the condition that if I don't like it, they would take it back. So they were really generous, I would say, in doing that. So I, uh, I got it, and I realized right away I need to put flexibility into it. So the parallel linkage you see there was junked parallel arms from corn planters. So I, I scraped up a bunch of them at a local implement dealer and uh, pieced it together and welded some brackets and everything, come up with a very flexible roller. So this was in 1995. And to my knowledge, um, I can't be absolute certain yet, but I think this might be the first cover crop roller in the US. Um, so uh, I was able to do that and my motivation at the time, and this is interesting in retrospect, was to cut my use of Roundup at that time, to cut my use of Roundup to a quarter. If you remember, the price was about 40 bucks a gallon, so it was really expensive to use. And, and I was able to do that. Um, so be able to cut my use of Roundup was one of my primary objectives. I also, at the same time, was starting to no-till plant pumpkins, and that fit well into this, and no-till some of my tomatoes and so forth. But it's kind of interesting thinking back how, how that uh, really uh, played out, how it worked out. Um, did have a certain amount of frustration associated with it, and the biggest thing was it was wrapping around the bearings. So I had to build these bearing protectors. And um, I was in communication with uh, Buffalo Equipment at the time. They later then came out with a retrofit that they made that was able to fit on. Um, I don't know how many units they eventually sold to be used as cover cropping, for cover cropping, but I know they sold, um, you know, I don't know if it's a few dozen or what. But So that really got me in uh, to rolling. So another person that strongly influenced me was uh, Rolf Derps from Paraguay, and he uh, actually visited my farm a few years later, and it was just an honor for me to have him come. He's pretty well known literally around the world for uh, cover crops and no-till, and I've heard him speak a couple times, but he is one of the several early adopters through the 80s in, in South America. He primarily... Uh, uh, was a consultant for the country of Paraguay, but um, again, a, a definite, definite key component.
to the early adoption of uh, rolling cover crops. Well, we fast forward ahead to today, and uh, here is a 60-foot a 60 60 wide roller. Uh, it happens to be on one of Harvard Buffett's farms in uh, Illinois. So we've come a long way. This was about three years ago that this, was, this picture was taken. So they've been used widely around the world also, smaller versions. Uh, both of these were, in, I've seen these in France, uh, different kinds of concepts. Uh, the one there on the left is a thick steel cable so that's flexible over a raised bed. And this is for vegetable production. Rather unique in that. The one on the right is just put in front of a small little garden tractor to just roll down three foot wide in a very small scale. So this, the scale of rolling is pretty much uh, across the spectrum of agriculture, including even horse-drawn uh, countries and areas where they have that. So this happens to be in South Africa. And what is interesting is I showed you the 60-foot roller that was Harvard Buffett's farm in Illinois. This is some of his work that he's doing in South Africa. We're taking the same technology and pulling it behind oxen. So um, kind of interesting when you, when you uh, know of all the history behind it. Then in the early 2000s, uh, caught the attention of the Rodell Institute, which is only an hour and a half away from where I live. And we started collaborating on some different uh, projects. This is one of the early versions of the roller. They actually bought a Buffalo rolling stock chopper like the one I had, but they preferred to put it in front of the tractor to do it in a one-pass operation. And uh, this is specifically for organic. So organic no-till is what they really wanted to try to accomplish. So uh, Rodell then got a $500,000 grant from, through the NRCS, one of their programs, and started building these. And they employed a local Amish fabricator, INJ Manufacturing. And I had some conversations with him, with the, with the owner of that. And uh, he was kind of asking me what I thought if rolling was ever going to take off. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't think it's going to you know, set the world on fire, so to speak. But I do think it has a lot of potential. They have now made hundreds of these. They have shipped them all over the world. And uh, Rodell really helped get the word out. They did a lot of testing and, and so forth. But uh, these INJ have been, have been used uh, quite extensively. So we, we had a little fun with this one day down at my farm. We had the, the, the Rodell INJ design. And we had it um, next to the one that I designed. And, we had what we call a little roller derby there. And I, I, I thought mine was a little more aggressive. And if you see there, uh, a couple days afterwards, you can see it is a little bit more aggressive. But when we planted behind that, you couldn't really tell the difference. So the, the, the act of the planter going over it kind of evened things out. Um, I still really like my design. It's what I use today. I've had it, like I said, for over 20 years. There's a lot of acres on it. Um, and I ran it out to some farmers in the neighborhood. But um, so that's kind of uh, you know what I've been involved with. I've seen all different kinds of shapes, sizes, and strategies. And, uh, and here's another homemade design that's out there. Uh, 
Here's another one from Australia, a uh, farmer friend of mine in Australia, uh, where they actually had, they happened to have some forklifts in front of their tractor, so they just built it around that. So there are all kinds of different ways to make this work. Um, uh, so um, it's, it's just one of those things that uh, farmers are very ingenious about this, but there are several manufacturers out there that are indeed uh, uh, trying to sell them to the public and so forth. Now, one more thing in my, my uh, history here. Uh, I had a visitor last year who is uh, actually from Germany. Uh, he spent some time in Brazil in the early 80s, and he was also very instrumental in the very beginning of the uh, cover crop rolling aspect. And um, unfortunately, I forgot his name. I was looking, trying to figure it out what it is. Uh, but I just wanted to show this picture. He was just delighted to show up at my place and see the roller I had because he had been working on it with rolling for almost 40 years. So it was just gratifying for him to see this concept literally start to uh, uh, just literally start to um, take root uh, around the world. So um, back now to some of the more practical parts of rolling. And uh, this is just uh, two years ago. I'm rolling this mix of triticale and hairy vetch, which is a really ideal mix. They, they tend to mature very close together. And this is in preparation for my pumpkins. It works really, really well for pumpkins. And because we don't plant until the end of May, beginning of June, we can allow our cover crops to reach essentially full maturity. And the roller at this stage will accomplish most of the termination. Um, now, I usually use some herbicide. There's times where I can see that it's a good cover crop, thick cover crop, mature enough, where well, I won't spend, spend or, or spray any, uh, any uh, herbicides. That being said, a little herbicide goes a long way in the context of rolling. Now, uh, granted, there's been a lot of publicity about organic no-till and the benchmark or the cornerstone of being that, of doing that, is rolling cover crops. That's usually a component of that. And that takes a lot of very specific management and also, I would say, some favorable conditions that need to line up to, for that to successfully happen. But um, all that being said, a little herbicide goes a long way with rolling. That's kind of where I uh, operate on my own farm. Now, I'll give a little perspective of what I hear from others who have tried rolling and tried to reduce uh, herbicides, or I should say eliminate herbicides. Uh, basically, one year in five, you will have excellent results. One year in five, you'll probably have very poor results. And three years in five, they'll be decent. Now, different people have different standards for all that, but that is a pretty good average of trying to use rolling as your sole termination method. 
So that's why, from my perspective, a little herbicide goes a long way. So that's where I'm coming from uh, with all that. Um, uh, the whole thing of being no-till and organic and using rolling certainly captivates the interest of a lot of people. But I've been doing this long enough to know that it just doesn't all come together every year that you can rely on it. So um, that's that's been my observation from not just my farm, but from talking to many people who have done rolling over the past uh, several years. One of the common things that people ask is, well, do I want the cover crop to be cut or just crimped? And uh, we want it to be just crimped. If you do cut it, especially if it's on not quite the mature stage, it may tend to regrow. And that can be more difficult than to control new regrowth that would come out of a, of a cover crop. So we don't want the blades or knives or angles to be sharp. We want them to be dull so they crimp. And um, that's just something that is a is a something you need to know. Most crimpers that are built are built with a somewhat of a blunt edge. So if you cut that off, you encourage regrowth, and that is generally makes things much more difficult to to do. Now, uh, in my uh, uh, pumpkins. Which, which you saw me rolling, here's, here's what I'm after. And where we have it right nicely rolled down, yes, a little herbicide used here, but we have our pumpkins growing up out of that mulch. And the, the key for this is the rolling part of it, to get that down in the ground, and then particularly with my pumpkins, they can grow out in that mulch, they stay cleaner, I keep my water in there, my moisture holds better, and a lot of... Uh, uh, wonderful things. So, um, what about planting corn? Uh, this is uh, some local friends of mine, Jim Hershey, Brian Zimmerman. They have a 12-row planter with the with the. Um, I'm going to show you a close-up here next. Uh, they're uh, actually, I believe, planting today in some of their earlier uh, uh, cover crops, but they have planted a couple hundred acres with this. There's several other rigs out there. Different people are using them, but it's it is a learning curve. You don't take this approach the first year you grow cover crops. Probably uh, there's a lot of nuances to make this work and to make it work well. Uh, just uh, looking here at a close up of what's underneath that planter. This was designed by a Pennsylvania farmer, Charlie Martin, from Central Pennsylvania. Uh, someone I've known for a while, and uh, he saw the benefits of rolling and didn't want to put a roller in the front of a tractor, but designed this to put on planters. These um, row cleaners or, or dividers or whatever you want to uh, call them up front are adjustable for different conditions. Uh, the rollers can be hydraulically uh, moved up and down a lot of flexibility here to be able to make this work. Now just note there how these rollers are blunt. They're not sharpened. Um, so this is Dawn Biologic. They bought the, the rights to market these and 
and they're promoting them. They, um, they're adapting them to fit many different planters. Obviously, there's some limitations. It depends on much uh, already, you know, starter fertilizer or, or fertilizer units you may have on. You may have to work around that. This is certainly catching the attention nationwide. And uh, again, to make this effective, the cover crop should be 18 inches to 24 inches tall before it's really worth spending the money to put these on. Shorter cover crops like a cereal rye or triticale, when they're less than 20 inches tall, they break down rather quickly when you spray them out soon. So the shading effect that may occur from standing covers isn't that dramatic. But once you go over 20 inches, the the cover crop is more difficult to roll down with just or just by simply the planter passing through. So having a roller at that point is certainly advantageous. So this is definitely something that's that's catching the attention of a few of a few people. So I want to spend a little time in some of my strategies. So I've mentioned this a little bit already, but what are you trying to accomplish? Well, a lot of times simply rolling, we're just trying to maximize the cover crop. We planted it, we spent our money for it, we put, took the time in doing it. We want to maximize the biomass. We want to let it grow to literally the last second, particularly if we have rollers on our planter. So maximizing cover crop biomass is, is a part of that. Maybe we can grow some legumes, like a hairy vetch uh, or a crimson clover, either straight or in a mix. Let them grow as long as possible so we can maximize nitrogen production so we don't have to buy as much. And then we have weed control. Um, maybe use some less herbicides. I'm going to say here that don't think just because you have a cover crop out there that you're going to have no weeds. I just want to set our expectations clear. A lot goes into weed pressure. What's the history of the field, number one? Number two, how thick is the cover crop? And a whole host of other things. But we can start hammering away at using less herbicides when we're into this system. But it's something that you kind of have to learn uh, learn. As I listed earlier, I kind of intuitively know when I'm spraying a field, a lot of times it's pretty similar the whole way over the field, but I'll, there's certain sections I'll just simply turn the sprayer off because I'm pretty sure I don't need any herbicide. So then that's just something that I've learned over time on my farm. Uh, number two is which cover crop species is best to roll? Well, there's many more that I've been listed on here, uh, but I'll tell you the most popular are the ones over there on the left, cereal rye, hairy vetch, triticale. Um, cereal rye, is, it grows fairly rapidly and matures fairly early. It's a good fit uh, for rolling. Uh, hairy vetch is as well because it's so succulent and tender. It's not that hard to, to terminate. Um, I just listed wheat and barley there. Uh, there are some instances where they, they do make good cover crops. I don't tend to use them much. They do uh, mature fairly early, which can be advantageous. I listed some summer ones there in the bottom, like sun hemp. going to show you a picture coming up soon of that, or buckwheat, sorghum sedan. Sorghum sedan will typically grow back, uh, so you have to understand that. Sun hemp probably won't. 
Uh, buckwheat probably won't. On the right side, winter peas, oats, crimson clover. Crimson clover doesn't terminate quite as easy as hairy vetch, but you know if it's in full bloom, you can do a pretty uh, uh, decent job on it. Um, I guess uh, I see Jerry Hall's on here. I don't know, Jerry, if you want to unmute yourself. And um, how does how does your Balanza clover? Do you have any experience at all with that in a rolling uh, situation? Yeah, we had a uh, a guy in Illinois last year that uh, went in there, rolled it, and planted green, and had really good success. It was kind of surprising to me because, you know, we'll run the tractor right over the fields out here, uh, and, you know, a week later you can't even see wheel tracks. But uh, David in Illinois had some pretty good luck with uh, rolling and planting green. Mm -hmm. and, and, again, there's, there's a, a lot of variables go into this, and uh, even in my two-part webinar here, I'm not going to have time to go into all of it. But uh, winter peas, as you can imagine, are quite easy because they're so succulent. They're quite easy to control. Oats, um, they can get kind of tough. Uh, there's not too many times they are rolled in their typical rotations. We have, it would have to be planted probably early in the spring and then for a later planted crop, they pretty much have to be seeded out. Uh, sometimes they're planted in the summer and rolled for a fall crop. Um, but again, they have to be, if you're not going to use herbicide, they have to be well seeded out into the soft dough stage um, of that. So uh, that's just um, just some of the cover crops there. Obviously, there's a lot more. Um, one of the things that uh, I'll touch on later the next time is about mixes because there's different dynamics happen with in the context of mixes. We have found we can get a better control on our cereal rye when it's mixed with hairy vetch. In other words, if you would roll straight cereal rye, and then right beside it you'd have cereal rye and hairy vetch, the cereal rye, as its own specific species, would be controlled better when it's mixed with vetch. Not sure why that is. I'm thinking some reason the vetch is just tangled up in there somehow and it keeps it down. I don't know. There's no real clear evidence of what, what goes on there, but it is a dynamic that I've seen. Uh, time and time again. Okay, I got a, a video here of rolling sun hemp. I'll just explain this. This was after wheat, right after wheat. We planted sun hemp in the first week of July, and this is the first week of September. Note the impressive growth of sun hemp, and that roller will just take it out. Um, that that'll just uh, that'll just pretty much kill it at that stage. This was at early bud stage and it just takes it out. So I want us to understand that when you roll cover crops, each species has its own prescription or its own um, variation of what, how to what degree a roller will kill it. And like for instance, if you would roll uh, cereal rye that's just starting to head out, hairy vetch at first bloom, you would not kill it. Uh, it just will re it'll grow back. It'll it'll grow back. Um, so here's just an example here, and this is of course over the summer. Now, typically we could have planted sorghum Sudan with this. If you would roll sorghum Sudan, that's just starting to shoot heads. 
I'm pretty much most I can assure you most varieties would come back on you. So um, wanted to show you just a picture here of a of an Amish neighbor of mine who was intrigued with this. He had sun hemp. He didn't have an aggressive roller. He just had a cultipacker. That wasn't aggressive enough to kill the sun hemp. So he rolled it down with a cultipacker. He did spray it, but then he no-tilled broccoli into it, and it provided a good deal of nitrogen for his broccoli. So some of the novel ways um, some are, are, are using uh, this concept of rolling. Then uh, my final strategy for, for this session is proper cover crop seeding rate. And I don't think this gets enough of attention because uh, it, it, it is, um, it's just one of those things that you don't think about. If you plant, let's just say, two bushels of cereal rye fairly early in the fall, it's going to get really thick on you. Then it's more subject to lodging. And when it starts lodging and you're planning to roll, you're setting yourself up for a mess. Because when the, the, the stems are every which way or unpredictable according to the rows you're going to plant, it's very difficult to get a good seed to soil contact because your disc openers are going to have a tough time cutting through this tough residue. Uh, on the other hand, if uh, you know too little, you probably won't get much weed control, which may not be a big deal for some people, but I will clearly tell you better to go on the lower rate side than the higher rate side. So I just want to, that to me is very important. If you're just getting into rolling and you're using something like a grain, like cereal rye, like triticale, stay in the low side. When you're using the clovers or the vetches, then it doesn't matter as much because they're viney. They're not going to be growing up and it's not hard to cut through those stems. But any high C to N ratio type cover crop. You want to stay on the lower seeding rate side in order to be successful. And I just want to uh, let, look, have you look at this here with this here where we have a, a higher seeding rate and higher fertility. Uh, this is actually is my farm and we had spread some manure on it and certain parts of the field happened to be higher in fertility and probably couldn't have used, wouldn't have needed so much manure. But uh, in this case, cereal rye grew out and went down in a rainstorm. That is a mess to try to have to plant if your rows are going to go right across there. So that's why I'm saying try to plant um, thinner rather than thicker if you're expecting to roll. And then you can bump up your rates from there, but you'll you'll save you're going to save yourself a lot of headache if you if you do that. So that is uh, all I'm going to share today. Uh, one question I had, Steve, I'll I'll ask it here, and then if anybody else wants to chime in or, or type in a question, um, that's great. So here we got one from Lauren already, so keep them coming. Um, with herbicides, Steve, what is the best practice for timing? Do you want to spray the herbicide before you roll, after you roll? What are some guidelines on that? 
That's a great question, and the answer is um, it can be done before or it can be done after. Uh, nowadays, most people have high enough booms, like you can go through six-foot standing uh, cereal rye or something like that. That can be an issue for some people. They just simply can't get the booms high enough. Um, or if you're in something like vetch, you know, it doesn't, that's not its factor as much. Uh, what I like to do is I'll, I like to spray before I feel like I get better coverage. That being said, I've done it afterwards, after it's been rolled. And, you know, some of the, um, the, the just the impact of rolling it and having the, having the bottom stems being totally uh, uh, covered, even though they don't get a herbicide, they will, um, they, they tend to die. It tends to work fairly well. It's actually worked surprisingly well spraying later. Um, so there can be some flexibility there. It's not either or. And there's, so um, there is one thing I, I want to circle back here that I forgot to mention. Uh, we were talking about the best species. And that is the subject of annual ryegrass. Uh, annual ryegrass, great cover crop. We've talked about it before. But don't count on controlling annual ryegrass with a roller. Uh, unless it's like fully seeded and almost dead. Um, it, it, it is so much of a massive root system uh, and it just doesn't lend itself because it doesn't really have stems, it just has leaves, it doesn't lend itself. I had a guy yesterday call me uh, and he was disappointed to find out he planted annual ryegrass, was hoping he could roll it this spring and I said that's just not going to work. Uh, and he was an organic farmer so he didn't have the herbicide option. Mm -hmm. so. Uh, just backing up a little bit there, want to get that in there. If you're going to be rolling, uh, if, if any ryegrass is in a mix, you can probably terminate it with the addition of a herbicide, but uh, no, definitely not annual ryegrass is not really uh, set up to, to be rolled. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, a webinar would not be complete without a reference to annual ryegrass, so I'm glad we got that <laughs> in there. <laughs> uh, Lauren had a couple questions there. Uh, I don't know if you want to address those, Steve, if you can take a look over Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Lauren, there. You asked about the cable roller. I was actually trying to get that, uh, that video. Actually, I'll try to dig that up and post it on the Facebook page. Uh, the the uh, the Brazilians have used uh, these really thick cables to clear underbrush and so forth, but actually there's a really cool video where it looks like two tractors are about 200 feet apart, driving parallel to each other with a cable um, on on some sort of a bearing that's turning. They're literally rolling like a 200 foot wide swath. It's quite a picture, or quite a video, so I'll try to post that uh, on, on the, uh, the, the Cover Crop Innovators Facebook uh, page, but that's, that's pretty cool. And Steve, are there any guidelines as far as what you're wanting to see on the rolled cover crop stem? You know, how many crimps yeah. do you want on that stem, and, and how much yeah. weight is needed on every yeah. blade of the roller to get those, to get those crimps? Yes. Um, I don't know that there have been specific studies that was actual bona fide research on how many crimps per stem or how far apart the crimps are. Uh, it seems like we've settled in in about a six to eight inch, every six to eight inches. 
Uh, so that seems to be what most people are using. Um, from my perspective, what I'm doing, I don't know that I need to get it any better for that. I don't know. Uh, you know, obviously, the more you crimp, then the more weight you would need to have the same amount on per square inch as it, as it rolls. So um, I would say getting uh, wider or longer than eight inches, you're probably going to start losing effectiveness. That's just that's just pure speculation. As far as the weight per blade, or maybe we could list it per foot. Uh, my crimper is 2,500 pounds. It's 10 feet, so it's 250 pounds <laughs> per foot um, is is what I'm putting down. And I'm not sure if that's the best way to describe it or not, but uh, I know with the INJ, they have the capability with the drum they have a plug in it that you can fill it up with water, which is nice because if you don't need as much, and you can just empty it, and everybody has water, so uh, they're using it that way. I've seen different rollers with you know weights attached; you can put them on and off. Um, I think it's something as you do it, you learn you know what is needs to be effective. How aggressive do you need to be? I would just say, in, in that based on that question there that I've advised organic growers, and I've done this myself, I've done one roll, two rolls, three rolls, you know, right at the same time. I came back, rolled a week later, trying to determine what's the best mess method or strategy to maximize it. Um, rolling uh, a couple times on small acres is not a big deal, and it does make it more effective, no doubt about it. It's fast, um, doesn't really take a lot of, of power, uh, so <clears throat> multiple rollings is an option, especially if you're if you're not if you don't want to use uh, herbicides. Uh, other than that, the concept of rolling is more about just getting the crop, the cover crop, to the ground, so that when your cash crop starts growing, it's full sunlight. Um, and I've had people ask, well, what if I plant my soybeans into standing rye, and then I want to maximize my cover crop. It's on the wet side. I leave them grow until the soybeans start poking through, or I've seen guys do it up to two inches tall. Now, you're going to probably nip a few of them off. People have done that. I'm not recommending it as, as, a, uh, as, as something to do. If you're willing to take maybe an associated risk with that, that's fine. So. Mm-hmm. One question I had, Steve, and, and we'll we'll leave the line open here for a few more minutes. If anybody else has a question, feel free to enter that or, or unmute yourself. But um, you referenced there in your last response about getting the cover crop close to the soil. Um, mm -hmm. And I noticed in one of the pictures you showed, I think it was of the, the farmer in Australia who had the roller on his forks in the front mm -hmm. of his tractor. That cover crop looked like it was dead as can be. Yep. Um, brown, but yet he was rolling it. So explain Correct. why he would be doing that, or do you know more about that situation? I do know. I do know. Um, in that case, he was, um, here again, Australia is on the dry side, although that farmer's on the eastern side, not too far from the ocean, but um, basically turned the irrigation off, um, sprayed the cover crop, which I think was triticale, and as you can see from the picture, it was already dry, but he wanted to plant a certain uh, squash that he grows in there. So his reason for rolling was simply 
to roll the dead, now dead cover, to roll it down to the ground, and then to get the benefits of having the squash grow out on that mulch. So um, that's why he sprayed early uh, to, to do that. 